0: You are listening to the Riverside Community Church podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, Riverside. My name is David Kennard, and if you've uh, been coming to the church since probably back in October, you have not seen me around here. It, It feels like a lifetime since I've been here. So, I would love to meet you afterwards and for the rest of you who are Riversiders and you're here every week, great to see all of you too. I feel like it's, again, been so long. I feel like I grew up uh, and, uh, you know, missed you all over the last several months, so Great to be with you this morning, Pastor Bill's up at our Mills campus. We'd like to switch on Palm Sunday weekend, and then we'll be back in our normal uh, locations. And uh, again, you know, you wonder where uh, Bill, where's Bill, or up if you're up there, or where's David if you're down here. Well, a lot of times we have it in the schedule, but for whatever reason, it just didn't work out for you know conflict of schedules or whatever. So, I'm glad to be able to be here with you to continue with this series. Are you ready to open up God's word together? Are you ready in the back to open up God's Word together back there? I can see you back there. I can see right where you're... I have no idea who you are, but I can see you because it's just kind of bright up here. Well, John chapter 12 is where we're going to be today. So if you want to open up your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go there. Again, it is Palm Sunday weekend, and as you're leaving today, we, uh, as traditionally we do, we do have palm branches for you to be able to take. They're at the exits if you want to be able... Uh, to receive one of those. And hopefully it'll uh, set something in your memory about what this day represents because we're going to look at what happened 2,000 years ago on that Sunday when Jesus rides into Jerusalem. But for those of you who are guests today, Let me let you know, first of all, that Riverside has an app. You can download that app and follow along in the notes today if you'd like to do that. You can also find a Bible in the chairs below you there if you need help finding the Gospel of John, chapter 12. There's a a table of contents at the beginning there. Encourage you to follow along there. Take some notes in the digital area there. We always have sheets of paper that you can take notes on uh, as well. Encourage you to do that. So this series that we're in is actually part of a larger theme that Riverside has been in. Our theme this year is the idea of going all in. Because Jesus has gone all in for us, he invites us to go all in in our love and devotion and obedience to him. In fact, he said we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. He has done that for us. He went all in for us, so he's inviting us to go all in. And so in each one of the message series that we've been in since September, we've been looking at how various aspects of a life who follows Jesus goes all in, and how he has gone all in for us as well. And so in this specific series, we're looking at, through the lens of one of the bystanders, one of the followers of Jesus by the name of John, he was one of the closest apostles to Jesus, we're looking at how his thread of glory shows up, and how people encountered the glory of God and how they reacted to that, how they responded to that. When Jesus came into this world, he encountered people every day of his life and some got it and some missed it. Some rejected it and some embraced it. And so we're gonna talk specifically today about that day 2,000 years ago when Jesus rides in from the little community of Bethany just outside of Jerusalem. He comes into and lands right there in the heart of Jerusalem. And so I wanna encourage you to follow along today as I mentioned as we continue with this series and specifically the prayer that Jesus prays is really a prayer that I started praying when I was a teenager I found it in the scriptures as I was studying one day, and it's a prayer that I would love for you to begin to pray, that it could be true of you at the end of your life. It's the final night of Jesus' life, and he's praying, and in, this, in the middle of this prayer, in the middle of holy communion with his Father, not bread and cup, but conversing, communion with his heavenly Father, Jesus makes a statement that I think because the power of the Holy Spirit lives within us, we could actually have this be true of us as well. Our work will be different than Jesus, but here's the prayer. Let's put it on the screen. This is where this idea comes from for this specific series. Jesus says this that night. He says, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing all the work you gave me to do. I want my life, at the end of my life, I I want this for me, and I desperately want it for you too, that you would be able to say, Heavenly Father, It's my hope, it was my desire. I lived in such a way that I brought you glory here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Not the work that he gave everybody else to do, but the work, Lord, that you gave me to do. And I want and hope that you'll consider praying that prayer for your own life and living in such a way that you would be able to hear, well done. Yes, you did complete the work that I gave you to do at the end of your life. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, if somebody's invited you here because they promised you lunch at the pub, We're glad that you're here. If you're not here, if you're like asleep, we're glad you're here. I'm just glad that you're here to be able to hear this. And if you have questions about Jesus, that's why we exist. As Lori mentioned earlier, we're here to help you find and follow Jesus. And so I wanna talk today specifically about your response, my response, and definitely the response of the crowd those 2,000 years ago when they encountered glory. And we'll put the question there on the screen. What's your response when you encounter glory. Now, we're gonna look at that in just a minute, but let me just tell you, if you didn't know this, that me and a group of the folks here from Riverside from both campuses just returned from Israel. We were there for about a 10-day trip, and I was literally a week ago in the area of Cana, and we were standing in the very place where Jesus is going to come into Jerusalem where he's going to stand and look over Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And we're going to take a look at that in just a few moments. But it is so incredible to be able to share God's word with you today. The the weeks leading up to our trip, I was studying for this message and for our Easter message. And I was literally thinking to myself, I will never preach the same way these texts because I will have stood in the very locations So if I cry a bit today, just hang with me. I'm also getting over a very bad cold, so if I hack and cough, just try to forgive me. Can we do that together? Anybody else battling cold? I hear coughing and sickness, yeah. You get in a plane and you get into a bus with 52 people and it's a Petri ditch of just disease and disgustingness and that's what I brought home. So I'm not, uh, uh, I'm better, I've taken my antibiotics, but you know, still hacking and coughing a little bit. So. With that in mind, as I was watching people who were experiencing these things, I think firsthand in Israel, I was watching some people tearing up as they experienced those glory moments in Israel. Others, I watched them just walking by and not even experiencing anything. You know how familiarity breeds contempt. You just are there all the time. Some people were coming from a completely secular experience. They just wanted to come and they just wanted to see and they weren't people of faith. And so just as people who go to Israel today experience the glory and the splendor of Jesus and the majesty of God the Father in all of those moments and all of those locations, some are excited, some are ambivalent, some are rejecting, some are just completely ignoring the whole experience. Well, that's exactly what we're going to see happen 2,000 years ago with Jesus. So with that in mind, I take you back To just a few days before the crucifixion, Jesus arrives in Bethany. Late the week before, and he's staying with some very close friends. He's staying with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. In fact, he's just raised Lazarus from the dead a very short time prior to that, and everybody in the area realizes that this guy has the potential to be their Messiah. While they are there in Bethany, Mary anoints Jesus' body, she anoints his feet with oil in preparation for his burial. And so this is huge. There's a stir. You don't just see somebody raised from the dead every day. And so there had been a miraculous expression of the power and the majesty and the glory of God in that resurrection. And that plays into the fervor that we're going to see here, the excitement, the enthusiasm, the passion that the people have for Jesus. I wanna show you the picture of a map of Bethany just so you can get, it's in your notes as well, just so you can see where it is that we're talking about. Jesus actually comes he's come he 's come from Nazareth down and he comes around to the southwest corner of there of bethany it 's just south and a little bit uh, east rather of um, of Jerusalem, and he's going to come up, and you can see, we'll show you a picture of modern-day Bethany, what it looks like, what we just saw just, uh, just in the last two weeks. Let's take a look at that image there. You can see what it looks like today. So Jesus is on this, in this little community of Cana, and when the time comes, he's going to come up the backside of um, the Mount of Olives, and he's gonna come through a little community that's almost like right on top of each other, like you're going from Oakmont to Verona, kind of an experience. And the little community was Bethphagee. And he comes up to the top of the Mount of Olives And that's where we're going to pick up the story. And I want to invite you, if you would, because we honor God's word, because we esteem God's word, I want to invite you to stand as I read through this text. And I want to invite you to put yourself in the shoes of those who are experiencing this. Because when we talk about this idea of spotlight, anytime there's a spotlight, when all everything else is dark and the spotlight comes on something or someone, that does two things. It causes us to look, and it causes us to listen. And that's exactly what Jesus was experiencing throughout his ministry. He wanted the people to look and he wanted them to listen because he had something for them. He was pointing them to his heavenly father. In uh, the crowd that day, he finds himself with people who are visitors. He finds himself with people who are local. He finds himself with the religious leaders. He finds himself with the Romans. And notice what it says, beginning in verse 12 of John 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Now, interestingly enough, about this time, the historian, the Roman historian Josephus tells us that for this specific festival, which the NIV refers to it as a festival, that's Passover, Josephus tells us that in this year, there were 2.7 million people that had come to the area there of Jerusalem. So this was no small crowd. This was a massive amount of people. They heard that he's on his way to Jerusalem and he's planning on entering the Eastern Gate or the Golden Gate. And we'll look at that in just a minute. They took palm branches, which is where we get this idea. They grabbed these palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, If you guys would help me with this next line, I'd love for you to just enjoy this moment because you're there in the crowd and you're excited that the Messiah is entering. Notice what it says. Let me read it, and then we'll say it together. Hosanna. That literally means save us now. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Can you say that? And like have some passion in your voice, okay? Get excited. If the person next to you didn't stand because they're asleep, just let them sleep. The rest of us will say this with passion. Ready? One, two, three. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Praise the Lord. That's exactly what they did that day in the crowds. Jesus, it says, found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, and John here connects us to an Old Testament text, so much is happening. We read it with our Western eyes, but there's so much richness here that I wanna tie this to in just a few few minutes. It says, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Now, it's as if John has just removed himself, but how is he so quickly able to say this? Because he was one of the ones who had no idea what was going on. He didn't get it. He didn't understand it. Only after Jesus was what? Glorified, here's our idea of glory. Only after Jesus was glorified did they recognize or realize that these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. Father, we all will have a response to glory today. We've had a response over the course of our lives to your glory, to your splendor, to your majesty. I pray that you would help us no matter where we find ourselves today in our journey of faith to be able to respond in such a way that it would truly put the spotlight on you, that you would open our eyes, you would open our hearts, you would open our ears, that whatever we brought into this place today might be able to be left with you, the King of glory. We pray this now in the powerful name of the risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may have a seat. Four responses to glory that we're gonna walk through here. Again, Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem was anything but a small affair. It was not quiet. And the palm branches, interestingly enough, when they laid down the palm branches, the palm branches were actually from a completely different feast. They were from the Feast of Tabernacles. And it were a nationalistic symbol of salvation for the Jews. It hadn't always been that way, but back in the Maccabean Revolt, back in between 100 and 200 BC, this had become, palm branches had become the national symbol of salvation for the Jews. And so they bring this and they lay this in front of him. Salvation was on their mind and certainly on their lips that day. In fact, They, the words that they say when they cry out there to Jesus, the words that you spoke earlier as a congregation, refer back to a psalm, Psalm 118. There's echoes of it there. It's in your notes. Lord, save us. Grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. Interestingly enough, Matthew's gospel tells us that at the end of the communion experience, the night of Passover when Jesus leaves the upper room and heads across the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane that they sang a final hymn as they were doing that. And they were singing, most likely, the final Hillel song. This would have been that psalm, Psalm 118. So this is incorporated into this, but they're calling out, Lord, save us. When they're, when they're using that simple word, Hosanna, they were declaring to God that they were tired of their oppression. They were tired and through with their corrupt leaders. They were asking for liberty, And they were asking for victory. And unfortunately, they were not interested in salvation from their sins. They were interested in salvation from the Romans. And what the crowds missed was an understanding of why Jesus had come. He'd not come to offer them military victory over Rome. You've heard us say this many times before. He came to establish a heavenly kingdom on earth, and he came to conquer the age-old enemies of humanity, sin, death, hell, and the grave. Jesus was fighting a cosmic battle, bringing irreligious children or rebellious children back into the family of God by making peace with God, not by declaring war on Israel's national enemies. Matthew gives us some additional insight into what they cried out that day. It's a messianic title that they use, Hosanna to the son of David. They're declaring him, we're looking at you as the Messiah figure. We've been promised that David's reign will never end. And so we're asking for you to be that Messiah. That was what they were declaring to him. And he enters the city with a purpose. Notice what it says, that he asked for a young donkey. Jesus came to fulfill prophecy. 500 years earlier, the prophet Zechariah had predicted that the people of Jerusalem would worship the Messiah as their king, but he would not come as they expected. He would arrive in humble circumstances, mounted on a donkey. You'll see it there in Zechariah 9.9. Again, 500 years before, And you can read that on your own. But what was happening there in this moment, instead of coming into town, riding on a horse, which is how the Roman generals would have done it in that day when the Roman generals conquered other armies, when they had at least 5,000 enemy combatants that were killed, they threw a huge party for them. And they would come riding in on a horse to declare their supremacy, to declare to the people around them, that they were king, they were in authority, they were the commander of their army, and there would be this big fanfare, and everybody would be excited about it, running through the Roman streets, but Jesus comes counteractive to that. Counterintuitively, when the king arrives, he comes in intentionally to fulfill prophecy. Everything that Jesus did throughout the course of his life and ministry was always to fulfill Every single detail of the Messiah that they had been waiting for, and Zechariah talks about this. He says that you're going to come in, re- rejoice greatly. See your King comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a what? On a donkey. It's exactly what Jesus came to do. Interestingly enough, too, his choice of what to ride in on immediately would have taken back his audience. To when King Solomon comes in. I'm not gonna read the whole text, but we'll put it up on the screen. Notice what happens here in 1 Kings chapter one. They, uh, Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet, when it was time David was done and it was time for Solomon to come in. Notice there in that text, it says that Solomon rode in on David's what? On his mule, on his donkey. And just as Solomon rode in, and was declared king as the son of David, Jesus comes in that day as the final son of David to fulfill the prophetic word. And it's drawing his crowd in to see the connections as to what's going to happen here. Entire life of Jesus is a witness to his humility. The creator of the universe, think all the way back to when his announcement came. The creator of the universe is born not in a castle, but in a cave. His announcement went out to the shepherds, the lowest class in all of Israel outside, just, just, just above the tax collectors in the minds of the people. But never, 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 never mistake his meekness for weakness. Jesus was in control. Every choice to be humble was intentional. In fact, I would submit to you that that day, as he rides in, they see him as king, They're wanting to declare him as king and rightfully so he was. But he'd already established himself that in the previous sections of the gospels. He'd already set himself up in that way. My personal belief as I read through this text is that Jesus rides in that day not to declare himself king, but to to declare himself Passover lamb. That when he rides in that day, in fact, the day that he rides in, as he sets up his shop there in the area, was the day that they would have selected the Passover lambs to be observed until later that week when the Passover lamb would be sacrificed. Jesus that day intentionally says, I'm going into Jerusalem, I'm gonna put my life at risk to declare my intention, I am their king, but today I come in as your Passover lamb. Mark also records that in addition to the branches, there were garments that were thrown out. Look at what he says there in chapter 11 of his account of the story of Jesus. Many people spread their cloaks on the road. And interestingly enough, according to Old Testament Hebrew scripture and history, it's not uncommon for people when someone of authority, when a king comes in for them to do this. In fact, it shows, for them, it shows this ruler their respect and their submission to his authority. Notice 841 years before the birth of Christ, King Jehu, that's exactly what they did when he came in. They spread their cloaks. You'll see it in 2 Kings chapter 9 and verse 13. Now, the Pharisees, this isn't lost on them. The religious leaders. If you're new to scripture, kind of the arch enemies of Jesus were the very people who should not have been the arch enemies of Jesus they were the religious crowd they were the teachers they were the pastors of the day and there's this conflict constantly because they were jealous because they wanted to be in control because they wanted to be in power jesus threatened all of that notice their reaction to what happens we've seen how the crowd reacts in this moment notice what happens with the with the pharisees beginning in verse 19 I'm sorry, beginning in verse 39 of Luke 19. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And then Jesus, being a man of the Hebrew scriptures, he yanks a verse right out of Habakkuk chapter two. And he says this, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, something happens that you wouldn't have expected to have happened in this moment. It says that he wept, over it, and he said, if you, even you, Jerusalem, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now, now, in this moment, it's hidden from your eyes. So Jesus has left Bethany. He's come through Bethphage. He's up now on the eastern side of the Temple Mount, and he's looking out from the Mount of Olives. And those of you who were with me, you remember all too well. In fact, let me just show you what it looked like that day that we were there. This is the view that Jesus would have had as he looked out that day. It's what it looks like today. Obviously, when he looked at it, there was no Dome of the Rock. Things looked a little different, but you get the general view. This is from the top of the Mount of Olives. Let's go to the next slide. That day, this is what we see today. There's a Jewish cemetery that's down here in the front. Interestingly enough, we learned that there are some of the prophets that are purported to be have been buried in that very um, cemetery. Jesus looks out and he can see the Kidron Valley and you'll see it in your texts as you're reading perhaps this week in preparation for Passover and for Easter this weekend for Good Friday. And then he's able to see the Garden of Gethsemane And from that view, he stands and he looks out over everything. And his expression was very different. Let's let's look at the next slide. His expression, he's, he's looking at the Temple Mount and he can see all of that. One more. And there's the Eastern Gate that he knows that he's gonna come through. And the scripture says, when Jesus ascended to the Father in heaven, he said, I'm gonna return just as I came. And... The Islamic folks have long ago, many, many, many centuries ago, have sealed that Eastern gate off and they've put a Muslim graveyard in front of it in an effort to try to keep the Messiah from being able to return. But at the end of the day, Jesus will come back and that gate will be opened and he'll come back as King of Kings and he'll come back as Lord of Lords. And that day as he's looking out over the crowd, he sees all of this. any, Any more in this section here? Nope, okay. So, that day that Jesus looks out, he starts weeping because he sees all of those things. But in what he's about to say next, no one else could have possibly known it. In fact, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, if you've not been able to just believe in who Jesus is, who he said he was, I wanna invite you to consider what he says next because i believe that it is the greatest one one outside of the resurrection one of the greatest indicators of the divinity of jesus and his power and his authority here he is in ad 33 making a prophetic claim that 30 40 years later would come true he's looking out over the city of jerusalem that day and he's in tears much not nothing like what we were experiencing. We were all smiles, we were enjoying the view, we were taking it all in. And some of us were, were very humble by what we were seeing, but for Jesus, he's weeping because he knows what's coming next. He knows and he can hear the screams and he can hear the terror and he knows the massacre and the genocide that's going to come when the Jews rebel around A.D. 67, and by the time of A.D. 70, he knows that the Romans will come in and they will completely destroy everything. Listen to what Jesus says next. The days will come upon you when your enemies that's the Romans, will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now, the people that day had no idea what Jesus was talking about. They had no concept of what was going to occur. But history tells us that in AD 70, by that time, the Jewish revolt that had taken place, Rome had gotten tired of it. And so they sent Generals Vespasian and General Titus, their father and son, and they they dispatched them with the 10th legion of the Roman Empire, between 60 and 80,000 Roman troops descend upon Israel and, and upon Palestine there, and they eventually reach Jerusalem. And at first, what happens? History tells us that at first, the Roman commanders tried to keep the, Isra- the Israelites, the Jewish people who were coming for a festival at that time, from entering in Jerusalem. And history tells us that Vespasian said, No, 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 let them in. And so the Romans helped them by the tens of thousands, by the hundreds of thousands, get into the city walls of Jerusalem. And they totally let them all get in. And then they began their campaign against Jerusalem. And over the course of months, they starved them to death. And when they decided eventually to take the, take the city, they, they came in and they were so angry, they were so furious against the Israelites that they massacred them by the tens of thousands. And I believe that day that Jesus stood on that hill, he knew that his people would be massacred and his heart broke, not just because they were missing him spiritually, but because he knew the massacre that would happen. And I believe he still is compassionate toward those around this world that are hurting, that are oppressed, that are being ravaged by war and broken by the sin of this world. And it says that Vespasian eventually left and he left his son Titus in charge. And by the time Titus got to the inner city of Jerusalem, by the time he got to the Temple Mount, when they had gotten up, they literally had to build an embankment up because you don't go to the Temple Mount on equal ground. Everywhere you come, from whatever side, you're going up to Jerusalem. And so they finally get there and they get to the Temple Mount and they begin to burn the fires all over the Temple Mount. And Titus is so angry and he's so venomous that he orders all of his 10th Roman Legion to literally tear every rock to the ground. And they grabbed them and they pulled them down. And literally what Jesus said to the T came true that day. In fact, when you go to the temple and you see from the sides around the temple, you actually can see those very rocks. This is along the western wall facing north. And you can see here, let's bring you in closer, those are the very stones all along that wall that were there the day that Jesus made that prophecy. And you can see the various images there that show those very stones as it broke the heart of Jesus. Jerusalem means the city of peace or the foundation of peace. But there was anything but peace then. And Jesus says, I came to bring you peace, but you're missing it. You're completely missing what I came to bring. And he wants to bring you peace. If you're missing what he wants to do in your life today, I plead with you not to miss the kind of peace that he wants to bring you. Peace with his heavenly father. Peace with others around you. He came to bring that. At his birth, the angels announced peace on earth. But once he started his ministry, there was nothing but war on earth. And he offers us that hope of peace now, but hope of peace for life everlasting. Notice what the crowd continues to do in John 12. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Remember I said that, it just happened. Many people, <clears throat> because they had heard what, that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. One of the things that they were looking for in a Messiah, one of the beliefs the core tenets of Judaism to believe who the messiah would be would that he would be that he would be able to raise people from the dead and he had done just that so they go out to investigate they go out to see his claims and notice the pharisees they said to one another see this is getting us nowhere look how the whole world has gone after him it's an exaggeration but it's also a prophecy What the Pharisees did not realize that day was that Jesus was forcing their hand so that the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of that day, would have to act that very week during the feast. The Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, had to give his life when the Passover lambs were being slain and Jesus did not have time to waste. He needed to stir up the crowds. He needed to stir up the religious leaders because he had a date with destiny, he had a date to die for you and for me. Matthew says that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. And we were in Nazareth. We were up in the northern region of Galilee. It's about 90, between 90 and 95 miles from that northern region where Jesus came down to Jerusalem. And he came there to die and to defeat our sin, death, hell, and the grave. And they asked that question, who is this? And it's the same question that you and I have to wrestle with today. Who is this? They had four responses that day. One is the response of Jesus himself. He was the one bringing the glory. Jesus, his response to glory was obedience. He was gonna obey his heavenly father no matter what. No one was gonna take his life from him. He would give it. He would lay it down willingly. Jesus' response is the same response that I want for my life and that I desperately want for all of you that no matter what it means, no matter where it takes you, no matter how difficult the road might be, no matter how much you might be mocked or ostracized or left out, no matter how much you might lose, you will gain eternal life if you live a life of obedience in your response to glory. That was what Jesus did. He responded to each thing that he knew he needed to do with wholehearted devotion and obedience. And here's the thing. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit that enabled him to live a life of obedience lives in you and I as his followers. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, maybe you find yourself in one of these other camps. Notice the other responses to glory that day. First of all, the Romans. Not a peep that day. The Romans completely ignore it. They it's just, there's just nothing. Or maybe at best, they scoff at it. But we have no record of what the Romans were doing. No doubt they were there in full force, watching over things. But they had no response to this Passover land. They had no response to this king from Jerus- that's coming into Jerusalem that could potentially overthrow their own rule and reign. They're very silent on this day, interestingly. And for some of us, we've had no response to the glory of God. There's nothing in our, over the course of our lives that show that we've intersected with God's glory in the big and little ways throughout the course of life. But perhaps today, for you, that could change. For others of us, we're a little bit more like the crowds that day, the visitors and the locals. We, we're ignorant of all of this. We miss it. Notice that there on, on Monday or on Sunday, rather, they're fans. They're enthusiastic admirers. They're championing Jesus. They're cheering Jesus on. They're shouting, Hosanna, save us. We wanna be done with this religious system. We wanna be done with these Romans who are oppressing us. We want freedom. Lord, save us. Hosanna, save us. And yet by Friday, they're shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. They missed it. Perhaps maybe that's for you. Maybe you've grown up in church for years or your whole life, or maybe you had some experiences as a little kid and you've kind of missed it along the way. Maybe for you along the way, you find kind of like that you're just ignorant about it all and you have so many questions. That's why we're here. We want to help you to find some answers. But see, when you encounter glory, when you experience glory, there's a requirement that you respond to that. Jesus is inviting you. You can't remain neutral on Jesus. You could ignore it for a while. You can ignore his claims, but at the end of life, it's going to make a difference. Not just for eternity, but for now. And others of us, perhaps we find ourselves, maybe if we're honest, even though we're sitting here today and we're glad you're sitting here today, but maybe there's a hard heart. Maybe you're like the Pharisees And your response to glory is rejection. You're pushing it away. You sense it. You know that the Holy Spirit's been calling you. You know that Jesus has been drawing you to himself, but you're keeping him at arm's length. You're rejecting it because you know it's gonna require some things to change. It's gonna require obedience. It's gonna require require full, wholehearted submission to what his purposes and what his plans are for you. Can I invite you Certainly talking to myself here to respond as Jesus did that day to glory. To live in such a way that you live with full wholehearted obedience that you put the spotlight on Jesus. That as he put the spotlight on his father that day that you and I could do that with our lives today. Notice what Jesus says in Luke 24. You see, Jesus understood that there can be no glory unless there's suffering He knew that he would have to suffer in order to enter his glory. Notice what he says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? You see, the nation that day, they wasted their opportunities. They wasted wasted being face to face with their Messiah. But The next time Israel sees the king, the scene will be radically different. He will come in his glory, not in humility, and the armies of heaven will accompany him and it will be a scene of victory as he comes to establish his kingdom once and for all. And when John had that experience, on he had lived his life, all the rest of his friends, all the rest of his family that were a part of that inner circle of Jesus that had gone all in, they were all dead. They were all long gone. But John has an encounter with Jesus where Jesus reveals to him things that were happening then, things that would happen in the short term and things that would happen at the end of time as we know it. And John is on an island exiled to Patmos and he records some beautiful words that describe to us exactly what it's like when Jesus returns again and in honor. As they will do then, I wanna invite you to stand again. As the worship team comes and we prepare to respond, I want, to, I want you to look with me at what John says. He says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From notice this, every nation, tribe, people, and language. Jesus' message is for everyone for all of time. His sacrifice is for everyone for all of time. When he rode in that day, yes, he was dealing with the Jewish people, but he was also dealing with you and me that day in preparation to become our Passover lamb so that he would be sacrificed for our sin. Every tribe, every nation, every people, every language, what are they doing? They're standing. Because when the king walks into the room... You stand, standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes and they were holding, what were they holding? Palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And the angels, they were doing the same thing all the angels were standing around the throne they fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped god saying amen in other words let it be let it happen let it come to pass praise and here's our word glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our god forever and ever amen so how will you respond to glory the glory that's around you every day when we talk about the glory of God we're talking about his character we're talking about his nature we're talking about who he is and what he does will you be like the Romans who just ignored the whole thing who just didn't do anything with the glory that was right there with them? will you be like the crowd who in ignorance missed it Will you be like the Pharisees who are just completely rejected or will you be like what Jesus was that day, fully, wholeheartedly obeying what his father was asking of him to do? That's my prayer. That I'd be able to say, Father, I brought you glory here on this earth by completing what you gave me to do. What has God given you to do right now in this season? As husbands, as fathers, Sons, as brothers, as wives, as mothers, as sisters, as the professionals that He's called you to be, in the marketplaces that He's put you to be, in the season of retirement that you find yourself in, no matter where you are on the campus, in the classroom that God has called you to, what is the purpose? that he's given you right now in this season of your life? Are you living in such a way that it will spotlight Jesus? That's how I'm gonna pray that that would be the same for you and for me, that we would respond with praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever that our lives might reflect the fact that we're all in. So Lord, as we stand in honor of you, as we prepare to sing these songs, we want to seek you for your guidance and your wisdom today. Thank you for leaving these words recorded 2,000 years ago that we might be able to lean into them today. That we might be able to be among those who are counted as faithful and obedient. That we would put the spotlight upon you with our everyday lives. Help us to respond with authentic worship. Help us not to be like those who missed you that day or who rejected you But instead, Lord, help us to embrace you fully. To draw into a deeper response to a deeper wholehearted obedience to your glory, the glory that's all around us. Father, you know how you need to apply this to us. Holy Spirit, as we think and we process and we pray and we sing, would you just wash over us? Would you bring healing and wholeness to those who need it today? Would you bring courage and faith to those who need it? Father, would you please help those who need a breakthrough spiritually? They're struggling to wholeheartedly put their trust and their faith in you. Would you bring a breakthrough to those who are desperate financially, who are desperate physically, who are desperate relationally, who are seeking you for freedom, for deliverance from the slavery and the bondage and the fear that so easily entangles us. Would you give us courage and victory, I pray today. We look forward to the day. We'll look you eye to eye, face to face, and we wanna hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servants. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.